One of the lines of one of the songs that we have sung this morning says this, that what the enemy meant for evil, the Lord has turned for good. Amen. Today is Juneteenth. Juneteenth. I'm I was born in Vicksburg, Mississippi in 1953, back before the earth's crust hardened so long ago. But I grew up in the old south in a sense. I grew up where there was a celebration in Jackson where we would go to be with our kinfolks. And from that day to this day, there have been a number of changes. And for the better, I trust, many changes yet to be made, no doubt about it. But the issue of slavery being revoked in our nation was one of the most important things that could, have, could happen in this nation to be made up of free people, free people. It was June the 19th, 1865, that General Gordon Granger of the Union Army signed General Order Number 3 proclaiming freedom to enslaved people of Texas. That came out of Galveston in 1865. But all of the Juneteenth celebrations emanated from this Lone Star State, Texas. Some of the dearest brothers in Christ I have are pastors of some of the most exciting churches that I've ever had a place to be in. They talk to you. They stomp their foot when they agree with something. They're liable to bring a handkerchief out, point that in your direction. I've even had times in preaching in some of their churches where the preacher would get up and walk up here while I was preaching and just put his hand on my back and just say, good, preach it, David, preach it, Pastor Walker. African-American churches, Rander Draper, Charles Flowers, great brothers and dear friends of mine in this city. But they got here, their generations in the past got here as a result of a great sin and a great crime against humanity in the sense of the slave trade. But I've heard them say, it was wrong how my predecessors got here, but here's what they say. What the enemy meant for evil, God has used for good in our lives. So grateful for that. And so we, we acknowledge and we rejoice in, we celebrate June 10th today, um, thanking the Lord for the victory and for the freedom and praying that there will continue to be more expressions of that freedom that meet with the Father's heart in our nation in the days to come. But it's an amazing example, truth of Scripture. Many of you could raise your hand and say, that wasn't exactly my story, but I've got my own story of how when the enemy came with something that engulfed me, that, that was not what I wanted at all, but it, it came against me, the Lord turned what the enemy meant for evil, and he's used it for good. This is also Father's Day, as has already been referenced. 
And I got to tell you, there's only one perfect father, and he's not here in this room, <laughs> except by his spirit, by his spirit. Some of this, this as we look at these passages this morning, um, it, it's going to have sort of a, a masculine tone to it, a male tone to it. But as I mentioned last week, when we talk about this matter of defending what's yours, realizing that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he will work his invisible assault against your family, against your profession, against your dreams, against your marriage, against whatever is precious to you that the Lord has given to you. The enemy will do whatever he can to try to destroy that, to hurt that, to take that from you. And we not only as men, as fathers, but also as mothers, as ones who have received, as Paul would reference it, my sphere, that's 2 Corinthians 10, my sphere that God has given to me, he has also given to you the weapons to defend it. We, we, we may be, and we are called to be, to be um, harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. We, we, we're called to to walk in gentleness and submission to the Lord and seeking to follow his direction. But we're also to understand that, that though we are called to a, to a walk of surrender to the Lord, that doesn't at all mean that we don't have any weapons. That we don't have any weapons. Tried to talk last week about there can be entire family settings that are soft targets for the enemy. There can be, it can be Bibles, Bibles in the house and church attendance on Sunday and do, you know, trying to do the things, but they're soft targets because when the enemy tries one of his, one of his assaults, one of his attacks, one of his guerrilla attacks in the middle of the night or when the family may be scattered and younger ones are in, in different places and he comes against them, there, there, is, there, there is no counterattack. There is no response to what the enemy is trying to do to steal and destroy your family or that which God has given to you. So we come back to that this morning. But I, I want to ask you to, to hear this not just from, just from the, the, the masculine gender, but to, to hear it from the standpoint of someone who has been given something by God, put you in a place that you didn't ask for, but he's put you there. You're the mother of these children, you know, and sometimes... <laughs> Yeah, we're going to be heading up to the northern Rockies, and Lord willing, in the next, next two or three weeks and be there for a little bit. And we've, that's where we've been going for 20 years to try to escape and get away. We've we got to know some of that area up there. You know, you've seen all the floods and things. I, I, that's just kind of our backyard, in a sense, to, to visit and enjoy, enjoy seeing. But I can tell you one thing. Those, the male grizzlies right now are not, not too much of a problem. They're, they're just... They're just they're just fat and trying to get fatter as they come out of hibernation and, and to, to regain their weight. And then they move back in and they're, 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 they're bad news in the fall. But you know the ones that you don't want to meet on the trail? That you don't want to get between it, 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 the mama and her cubs? It, it's a sow grizzly. She'll have you for supper. She, there won't be anything left of you but tennis shoes. And because... Somebody is threatening her sphere. Somebody or something is a threat to her. 
for you as a mom, for you as a dad, for, for you as a spouse, for, for you with someone who's been given something in a job location, your company, and there comes to be a sense in you that that thing right there, that person, that attitude, that what's going on right there is a threat to what God has given me. I'm, I'm not perfect. We would say we're not perfect. But the Lord hadn't had a perfect person to work with other than Jesus, and he's not here right now. He, he's alive in us, but he has to work his work of wholeness and healing and in the direction of what is good and true inside us, and we're broken sometimes. Lots of times we are. But the Lord has given you the marriage he's given you if you've sought him in the process of that. He's put dreams inside you. He's, he's, he's given you abilities with your hands and with your brain, with your feet to be able to do things. But everything, folks, and this just needs to be understood. It's not intended to, to, to send us into fear and into defeat. It, it is intended to say, wait a minute, what God has intended for me to have and to live in and to enjoy is so valuable that even Satan wants to try to destroy that, take that from me, and as I'm aware of that, I read this, these verses that Paul wrote for us in 2 Corinthians 10, that there are weapons for our warfare. And the weapons that we have, he says, God even considers mighty. God even considers them strong. So if the Lord considers these weapons of our spiritual warfare strong, then absolutely Satan recognizes them as such. But if these weapons never get used, you may have a Remington 870 in your gun safe. You, you, you may have six or seven pistols back on. But if, if they're never taken out, if, if they're never pulled out spiritually, and leveled against the ones who are trying to come through the window of your family, trying to steal your children's minds and hearts. If there's, if, if there's, if there's never a sense of a counter-engagement, then the enemy can keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and trying to work his ravaging even of Christian homes and Christian families. But I'm going to tell you, if, on the other hand, you recognize that God has given you spiritual weapons that you can lock and load and fire in the direction of encroachment, it won't mean necessarily that the enemy never bothers your family or never tries to disturb but I'll tell you this, when you are consistent in that and you are consistent in engaging the enemy with the truth of what you believe is what, what the Lord has given you and who you are in him, the enemy and the forces of darkness have a way of thinking twice before they come after you because they know they're liable to get their heads blown off if they mess with you. Soft target or hard target? Is your family, is your marriage it is your professional life, is the company, is it a soft target? Believing down to your toenails that it is the unseen that controls and determines the scene. Not the other way around. When, when, that, when that kicks in, when that drops, 
and there's a recognition that I do have, I do have responses. Legitimate, literal, powerful responses that I can make when the enemy is doing what the enemy would try to do to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10, 10. The enemy's come to do those things, steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus said. But I've come that you might have life and that you might have life super abundantly. All right? So, so let's pick up some of where we were last week. And I, I, I don't know that this is sailor going to ring everybody's chime this morning. Because you're, you're, you know, your sea may be, your, your lake may be just calm and there are no ripples and, and all the troubles are back yonder. But I believe that there are, are a number of us who are listening, not only in this room, but a part of our streaming family, who would say, my family is under attack. And, and it won't necessarily be the physical part, but you know that there are some thoughts and emotions, feelings, jealousies, rebellions, you know, so forth, that, that, that are working, that are causing there to be something that has stolen the peace in your family, that, that, has, that has stolen the sense of loyalty and tenderness and so forth that, that we enjoy in families. But, but I, I don't want it to just, I want you to just look at, that it's, it's, this is all about just the Sunday school class, or this is just about the group that, that, would, that would be very churchy or very religious. The, the, Lord, the Lord has given you a place to work. The Lord has given some of you companies. The Lord has given to you, some of you, places of influence in the community. He, you didn't ask for those things necessarily, but God gave them to you. And there can be the sense of it being affronted, it being challenged. And what are we to do? Number one, we recognize it is the invisible that controls the visible. The invisible determines the visible. I'm going to say that again because that is absolutely contrary to the way we're wired. If I can't touch it, it's not real. Oh, goodness. If I, if, I, if I haven't been there and seen it, it doesn't exist. Great, Scott. If, 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 I, can't, if I can't turn the bolt, if I can't tighten the screw, if I can't put it in the drywall, it doesn't exist. That's exactly what Satan, the ultimate liar, wants you to believe. But the Lord would say, there are weapons that you can use that I've made available to you, but you have to use them, and it will be, it will be a counter and a victory over what the enemy said. Go, go to 2 Corinthians 10, and let, let's read this, if we could, again. This is 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. And Paul's speaking regarding the sphere that the Lord had given him, the sphere of influence and leadership of these Corinthian Christians. He says in verse 3, for, we, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortress. And look at what he says. We are destroying speculations. Now that's that word that we get our word logic from. Logical conclusions that make total sense to the person who is espousing them or who has been taught them, but they're absolutely false. They're built upon a faulty premise which leads you to a false conclusion. Paul is saying 
The weapons that we have, there's nothing physical about this. It's everything spiritual, but these weapons have the ability to dismantle and cause to disintegrate faulty logic in the minds of people, in the minds of people, in the minds of people. They're coming against the responsibility and the role that the Lord had given him with these people. And some of what was coming against him were these lines of logic that the people were saying, well, that, maybe that's true, that, 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 you know, that Paul's not a real apostle, or, or he says one thing when he writes, he's another person when he gets here. Paul is just no big deal. And yet Paul understood, the Lord sent me to you. The Lord gave you to me to be your spiritual father. And the logic that you're following, I'm destroying. I'm, I'm exercising these weapons to destroy faulty logic. Some of you are going to recognize that and working that works in the opposition against your leadership, against your position, against your role. So instead of sitting there and, and just saying, well, I don't know what I can do about this. I don't know, I don't know how to write. Here's what you do. You recognize that that is not true. And you recognize that you have been given weapons spiritually to come against that logic. He wasn't saying the people, I'm going to try to destroy these people who are doing this. He'd say in, in Ephesians 6 that, I, that, that, that we're not struggling with flesh and blood. That's not the fight. The fight is in the invisible realm, the ones, the forces of darkness, the forces of light that seek to infuse the minds of people with either truth or error. And so he's saying where there has been the infusion of error, I'm coming against it. And, and he used the word destroying, destroying logical conclusions that are wrong, that are hurtful, that are untrue. Now, again, you, you heard me repeat that three times at least. It is the invisible that is in charge of the visible. It is the unseen that determines the seen. This won't make a lick of sense to you unless you embrace that premise. If we embrace the premise that it is the invisible that controls the visible, then we will find ourselves on a regular basis appealing to the God who is first spirit and who then created that which is physical. We'll realize that because we're a child of God, we can appeal to the one who has the ability in the spirit realm to shut down thoughts, to alter faulty logic, to bring low attitudes and opinions of pride, which he says here. Let me just finish reading this. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing, prideful thing, raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive. We're taking every thought captive. How invisible is a thought? It becomes visible if you write it down. It becomes visible if the thought says, screw the screw in the, in the piece of wood. Then it becomes visible. But he's saying before it ever breaks out into the physical and the natural, we're exercising these weapons when they are coming against the sphere that God has given me. I, I'm just daring some of you as fathers to believe this. 
I'm daring some of you as mothers or spouses or owners of businesses, leaders in the, 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 the home of a dream to believe this. That the Lord, the Lord wants to meet you at the place of the invisible so that there can be result in the place of the physical and the material. We're destroyed. So, so what are these, what are these weapons? These weapons of our warfare, which Paul will say in Ephesians 6, stand. You're not fighting against flesh and blood, but where the Lord has put you, stand. Don't run. Don't quit. Don't chicken out. You stand right there. You stand in your sphere and refuse to be moved. You stand where God's put you and refuse to give it up. You stand where he's put you and thank him for what he's given you. And then do these things. First thing I'd mention, we've gone over several of these weapons of our warfare in the last couple of weeks, but jump into it at this place. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it is recorded, but to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the right to become the children of God, to be called the children of God, even to those who are believing in his name. Now, the English translation of, this, of the New Testament language can throw us off or give us only a piece of the meaning. Another way to translate that word, given us the right to be called the children of God, is the word exousia or the word for authority, for authority. But to as many as received Jesus, to these he gave the authority of children of God. Authority meaning that you are not just any other human in the sight of God. That, that you are not just someone that unless you allow it, Satan can just crank up his D8 caterpillar and drive right across your hair, right across the top of your head. Why? Because I am a child of God. I am a child of God. The authority that comes from knowing whose child you are. We have earthly fathers. We thank the Lord for the biological father the Lord has given us to put us here. We're here. We see. We enjoy. We see. We're blessed because we have a, have a physical dimension. But we understand the truer sense is our real father is the one we haven't seen. Our real father is the one we come into relationship with by way of a relationship with Jesus, his only begotten son sent to this earth to, to, to take our sins in his body when he went to the cross to pay for our sins. And by putting our faith in him, by receiving Jesus, by receiving Jesus, we are brought into that place of the family of God children of God. Now, what's a child of a father? What is the father of a child supposed to do? The father of a child is to provide. The father of the child is to protect. The father of the child is to help prepare for the future of that child's life. So it stands to reason that if I'm a child of God, again, it's important. What a finished carpenter makes with his hands 
is not the same as the little girl that will come to meet him when he comes home and she runs out the door hollering, Daddy, Daddy. What the finished carpenter makes out of a piece of wood is not the same as his child. That which has been created by God but has never come into a relationship with Jesus is absolutely a creation of God but not necessarily according to the Scripture, a child of God. So that which can separate you and me out of the rest of the human race is that sense of a relationship that we have with Jesus. And because of that, we have been brought into a relationship with our Abba Father. We are his child. And he, because he is the best father, he, 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 will, he will provide for us. Yes, he has. And yes, he will. And some, that seems to, they seem to have more in the bank than others. The Lord will say, don't, don't be spending your time worrying about what you're going to put on, what you're going to eat. The Lord knows what you need, and he's going to give you. Just as he takes care of these sparrows, he's going to take care of you. You don't need to worry about it. You just seek first what pleases him, seek his kingdom and what's right in his eyes, and he's going to take care of the rest of this because he's a good father and because you are his child. And that also means he will protect you. His heart is to protect. His heart is to protect. I need to say this in connection with that. There can be things that the Lord could do, and often he does just flat out on his own, without us asking him. Say, okay, Lord, I'm going to get up on 281, and I'm going to hit 410, and I'm going to head west on 410, and Lord, you know all the crazies that can be on the road. You know I'm going to be changing lanes, and so I'm going to ask him. We go over the detail of our trip. Most of us don't do that. But how grateful are we that somehow it just seems like he has, over the years of our lives and the multitude of miles we've traveled, he's taken care of us at lane changes. He's taken care of us at intersections. He's taken care of us in the middle of the night with a tire not going flat, and we'd be left on the side of the road. He has been a good provider. He has been a good protector but to take it even further and deeper i believe that the lord there are times when he does do things just because he knows we need them and we don't necessarily know we need it but there will be other times folks when he wants us to grow into the place of realizing that we can in the places where we're under attack in the places where the enemy is coming against that we can access his power to protect as we cry out to him, as we, as we petition him, as we say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. There are times when he will use trouble to engage us tighter with his heart. And so when we find things that really can touch us, when we see the challenged and being hurt, we, we, we sense that, that I don't want to lose that. Or if that continues, it's going to be wrong. It's going to hurt. It's going to be, it, it, will be, it will be devastating to the ones that I care about and love. That he invites us to petition him for the expression of the protection that is already in his heart to give. So 
it's important to ask ourselves in the light of that, what might not the Lord have done yet? Because I've never asked him. What might the Lord not have done yet? Because I have not exercised the weapons of my warfare. Say first, at least in this listing of them today, that, that your standing as a child of God is a piece of your weapon, part of your weapon. To, to be able to realize that as a child, I have his ear. As a child, I can ask him to protect me. Lord, you know this is beyond me. You know this. I can't go there, and I can't change those thoughts and correct those emotions. But you gave me this fear. You've given me that child. You've given me that husband or wife. You've given me this job. You've given me this dream. And it is being assaulted. I'm crying out to you, Lord, as your child. Defend me. Defend what you've given to me. You have a right to do it. How often do we recognize that? Even... You know, at, at that point, that, that we, we, we recognize that, that, we are, that we are a chosen child of God, but that, but that we're also <laughs> needing to recognize that we are a forgiven sinner, a forgiven sinner. You know, one of the names of the devil, in fact, the word for devil means accuser. It comes from two Greek words, diabolos, compounded. Dia is the preposition. Balos is the verb. To throw between. To throw between. How, to, to separate. To separate. Meaning to, to separate us by the means of false accusations or lies that can be spoken. Scripture says in Revelation 12, 11, they overcame him, one's in heaven, they overcame him, the devil. Because of the blood of the Lamb, because they love their lives, not even unto death. Because of the blood of the Lamb. What was the blood of the Lamb the Lord Jesus poured out for? To forgive sins. To forgive sins. To forg the enemy, the, the minute you begin to challenge what he's trying to do against you, can somehow come back and look at you. Look, look, look at where you failed, bringing up stuff out of the past. That's where there was a wonderful old song in the Jesus movement that, that went along the lines. I'm not going to sing it, but it would say, in effect, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. I'm forgiven not because I've never sinned. I'm forgiven not because I've done enough right to outdo my wrong. I'm forgiven because the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven me. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. But folks, says, what if, what do you say? Well, I've always been that, or I've, I've known that for a long time, but the enemy just still keeps beating me up. Well, here, here's the point of this whole deal. When have you ever turned and come against the source? Or how long has it just been? We just sit there and took it. We just took it. We just took it. We just took it. This is all about saying you don't have to just sit there and take it. I'm a child of God. Fight for me, Lord. I'm forgiven. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. I am free from those things, and I'm able to stand 
before you without, without anything between you and me. You know I'm a sinner. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, yes. But then these other weapons, the weapons of our warfare. Uh, you, you may want to just jot a, you know, a couple of these down or maybe, maybe all of them. This isn't, a, this isn't an exhaustive list. We talked about it last week. When you, and these weapons are words that are spoken. Again, it's not a pistol being cocked or a knife being unsheathed, but it is words being spoken. Words have power. Words get legs when they're spoken. A word that's just a thought in the brain can stay there and do no damage, do no good. But the scripture says the power of life and death is in the tongue. The minute you speak something, you have sown something into this realm that has power that it didn't have before. How was everything that is now seen, how did it come into existence? Jesus stepped out on nothing, looked into the blankness of the universe, and said, that's Genesis 1, said, he said it, let there be light. Have you, as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a wife, as someone whom God has given you a sphere, have you ever spoken out loud such things as these? When Jesus taught us how to pray, Matthew 6, Just glance at this, because we spent some time on it last week. He said, here's how you pray. You pray, come kingdom of God. Verb first, verb first, come imperative mood. Come kingdom of God. Be done, will of God, on this earth as it is in heaven. He doesn't say you ask for the kingdom of God, or you ask for the will of God to be done. He said, as you're coming into my presence and you're acknowledging the Father as your Father, here's how you pray on this earth. You speak it. Come, kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Jesus would say, if the kingdom's going to be found anywhere, it's going to be found within you. Don't look for it at a place or a building or a geographic location. The kingdom of God will be within you. That means that Jesus, the king, you can't have a king unless you have a kingdom unless you have a king. So it's all about the king making his presence known inside hearts, that, that, that he, he steps in, he moves in, and he begins to rule from the inside out, govern from the inside out of a life. So you look at somebody in your sphere that you're burdened for, you're broken over, you're, you're realizing that the, the, the choices they're making are, are going to destroy them, maybe not now, but it's coming, it's coming, you know it is. So what am I to do? Weapon of your warfare, speak it. Kingdom of God, presence of King Jesus, come to that heart. You pray it in the morning. You pray it when you think of them through and during the day. You pray it at night. Come, kingdom of God, come. Somebody say, well, I, you know, I pray. No, you haven't. I pray for my kids. I pray for my, I pray. In this way, where it is aggressive, it, it, it's, all, it, it, it's like that, that sow grizzly, she's got two cubs, she's over here, and somebody walks in between them. 
She's not nice. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we're becoming mean people and we're fighting everything. But it means that those babies that God has given you, that spouse that God has given you, that dream that God has given you and it's being manifested in a business and a personal, professional expression before you, that it touches your heart, it matters to your heart, and you have permission to fight for it. Not with pistols, not with knives. That's not where the battle's going to be won. We said last week that young man who shot up Uvalde. He shot up Uvalde because something, something invisibly was controlling him to do something physically calamitous and tragic. But it starts with the invisible. It starts with the invisible. And here's weapon. Here's a weapon. Weapon number one. In the words that Jesus gave us to pray, right there, right there, that one right there, that picture right there, that geographic location right there, come kingdom of God to the people who are there. And you pray it, and you keep praying it, and you keep speaking it, and you refuse to back off, you refuse to give anything to darkness. Well, how long do I pray till it happens? When's that going to be? You don't know. But the work of the Spirit of Jesus inside you will keep engendering that holy kind of protection, that holy kind of longing for your sphere to not be encroached or stolen from. Second thing, be done, will of God. Will of God be done. We don't have to know all of the ins and outs of what God's will is in the situation. But we know that what we're looking at and what we're listening to (laughs) And what we're sensing that we're threatened by, that's not the will of God. That's not God. That's not God. So what I'm going to say out loud, into and over that situation and those people, be done, will of God. 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 I'm telling you that if some of you will activate this in your arsenal. Things that haven't changed for years can begin to shift. I remember uh, our first church was Hobart, Oklahoma, southwestern Oklahoma, Hobart, Oklahoma, halfway between Lone Wolf and Godibo. That tells you right where it is, Kiowa County. And there was a guy in the town who was a welder, an excellent welder, but he also prided himself in being a an agnostic. No way of knowing. No way of knowing whether there really is a God. Group of guys, group of men, we met on Tuesday nights just to pray for the heads of households. We weren't inviting anybody to church. They'd been invited to church a thousand times and got tired of being asked and quit coming, quit even acknowledging. Steve Cassidy was this guy's name. And he was on our list. We had about 70 or 100 men, heads of households in that little community of 5,000, county seat town, Kiowa County. Prayed for the sheriff, prayed for the local known bookie, prayed for, you know, all kinds of, just anybody that had a family, we would pray. Steve was one of those. We didn't, we, ne- we didn't go and knock on his door. We didn't go and try to badger him in church. We just got to pray in this way. Lord, you're not willing that anybody should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Steve is one of those that you need to bring repentance to his heart. 
prayed for six months. Tuesday night, six months. Every night. And, and it wasn't a hard thing. We enjoyed being together. And we'd pull out our lists and we'd just work out calling the names out and praying like I'm telling you. Lord, bring your kingdom to Steve's heart. Cause your will to be done in the circumstances of his life. And after of several months of doing nothing but praying for him and speaking words that I'm giving, like I'm describing, I get the indication that Cassidy wanted to talk to me. Cassidy wanted to talk to me. So I called him up, went over, went to his house. And he could give, listen, he could give those arguments that, a, that an agnostic can give about how there's no way of knowing, no one knowing there's really God. Sometimes, many times an agnostic can be more challenging than an atheist to, to deal with because an atheist at least has a faith position. They're saying, I believe there is no God. I believe there is no God. An agnostic says, I just don't think there's any way of knowing. He got to bounce on those things. I just kind of poke him in it, and he would come, this stuff, smart guy, and he would come, but I'm telling you, as he went over those things, have you, ever, have you ever dropped a BB or a small rock or two inside a Coke can and shook it? Where it sounds so hollow, it's making some racket, but there's no substance to it. And that's what he did. It was that BB in that tin can, just going over his stuff. So I, we talked. I tried to speak some truth, left, and we just kept praying. But not many weeks after that, the sense was, I got to talk to you because what, because what, you, what you've been saying somehow about Jesus being real and that there's a place to be forgiven and hope could come from him, I want to know more about that. He was one of the last guys that walked out into the baptistry of the first Baptist church of Hobart, Oklahoma, and we baptized before we left there to move to Amarillo. Don't you tell me this doesn't work. Don't you tell me that there is not the power of God to dismantle logic and to break a cold heart and a rebellious heart and a questioning heart. Don't, 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 don't say it can't happen because you're saying there's something God can't do. And the Lord in his word has said, here are the weapons, here are the weapons. It's not to hurt people. It's not weapons to break people. It's weapons to set folks free. It's weapons to protect what the Lord has given you and intends for you to have, and he wants to fight for you to keep. The weapon of the kingdom coming, weapon of his will being done. The weapon of a promise, a word, a word. The only offensive weapon in Ephesians 6 given to believers in this warfare. And Paul lists the armor and so forth. The only weapon is, is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's, that's not the whole Bible. It's a promise. It's a, it's a phrase. It's a word. It's a sentence. It's a couple of verses from the Lord's heart to you. Do you realize that a promise God has given you about how a child is going to turn out or, 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 or the dream being manifested in your life or the company that you desire to build, that those promises that the Lord has given, He sees that as a weapon in your hand to be used against the enemy when He comes to try to steal your company or blow up your marriage or destroy your kids. 
Lord, but you said, but you said, the promise, the word from the Lord. Folks, listen, it's not enough to just have things that we know the Lord has spoken and we've got them in a journal somewhere or we've got a date out by the side of verse of Scripture. When, when there is the threat to your sphere, to what God has given you, the Lord has given you those words, those verses, those promises for the purpose of sticking them in the face and in the heart of the enemy who's coming at you trying to bring about the result, the opposite result. Wield your sword. Don't sit there and take it. I've got to say this to somebody. I don't know who it is. But you're sitting there taking it. You're putting up with stuff. You're letting the enemy ravage. When the Lord through this is trying to say, get up. Arm yourself with what I have given you. And engage the darkness and don't quit until the breakthrough comes. Now I realize somebody, listen to this, and if you pass down, you don't realize how worn out I am. I'm sorry. And I don't need to have... I don't anybody tell me to do Next week we'll deal with you, okay? Next week there'll be bushloads of encouragement. But today this is about some folks who need to fight. You need to say to the enemy, stop it in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's another weapon. The name of the Lord Jesus. The power of his name. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up with Peter in Acts 3. And I'm going to leave out some stuff because I, I, I hear the piano playing. That's the sign. Bring it home, Pastor. Bring it home. All right, but we'll, we'll do some more of this next week. Here's a verse. Here's a passage I want, you to, I want you to know this is in the Bible. This is Psalm number 35. Book of Psalms, 35. You see, some folks have the attitude that, you know, God's just, he's just very placid. He's, he's just very, you know, just, just very neutral. You know, if he really is, he's just out there somewhere just gazing off into nothing. David was described as the man after God's own heart. The Lord spoke of David in that way. And I got to tell you, David, David was a shepherd. He'd want to take care of the, the, the nursing ewes and the lambs and, and keep the strong sheep from muddying the water for the little sheep and so forth. He was a shepherd, but he was also a warrior. And God picked him because the Lord knew David would fight fight to the death if need be for what he believed God had given him and what he believed was right in his sight. I want you to listen to this. Psalm 35, verse 1. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up from my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. 
Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction come upon him unawares and let the net which he, which he hid catch himself. Into that very destruction let him fall, fall. And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exult in his salvation. Okay, soft target, hard target. Soft target, hard target. Soft target, the enemy comes, the enemy encroaches, the enemy spreads his lies, the enemy deals in his false logic, the enemy does his rebellion, all those kind of things in the minds of people, invisible, trying to control visible. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, the somebody who has been given that fear that for all this time has been a soft target. The enemy could come and go without any hesitation or restriction. All of a sudden now, that soft target has become defended by a man or a woman, by a person who recognizes, I don't have to sit here and take these lies. I don't have to watch those I love and care for, the dreams that, have been, that God gave to me, be dismantled by darkness. I'm going to take my stand and exercise the authority of a child of God. I'm going to exercise the authority of praying, come your kingdom, be done your will. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus at it, into it, over it, around every side of it. I'm going to just speak, keep speaking the name that is above every name until defeat comes its way. I'm not going to accept defeat. I'm going to render defeat. And then the last thing you do, if it comes to this, David started asking the Lord himself to enter the fight. Contend for me, Lord, against those who are continuing. And then the literally words, fight for me, Lord. That which you have given to me. That's what you have purposed for me to have. I'm here. I'm standing. I'm believing you. But Lord, the onslaught is so great. I need you to roll up your slaves, sleeves and come out of heaven and fight for me. Folks, I don't know how long that takes or what the full result is going to be. But I can tell you, you start praying that way and the enemy will realize he is messing with somebody who understands who they are and what they have, and they are not afraid to use the weapons of their warfare. Some of you are going to say, you know, that was an interesting, Pastor, and you're going to take it, and you're going to throw your Bible on a shelf, take your notes and throw them somewhere, and continue to endure the mess that you're living in. When the Lord would be saying, I pray by His Spirit, I speak the truth, I speak the truth, I speak the truth in my word. Believe me, believe me, believe me. Get out of the boat and come to me on the water. Speak my word. Stand in my authority. 
Ask me to fight for you. That's it. End of sermon. We're done. Next week, maybe it'll be a little lighter and happier. I don't know. But this is for some of you who are in the thick of it. And you've been broken by the defeat that you've seen. Some of you have been in family lines where the family line has been marked by this kind of depravity and that kind of weakness and that kind All of that can change as Christ comes to live within your heart and you realize that the sins of the fathers no longer have to be passed on to your generation and the generation later. You don't have to take it. You can stop it for your grandchildren. You can stop it for your children. You can stop it for you. It ends with me, devil. I am forgiven. I am set free. I have the authority of a chosen child of God, and I own the name of Jesus as my defense. And he will come fight for me if you keep this up. Resist the devil, and he'll what? Flee from you. Resist the devil in the light of what we've said, and he'll flee from you. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for the authority of your word, the authority of your word, not the authority of men, but the authority of your word to bring life and hope and rescue and a change to our hearts and our understanding. Wherever this needs to land, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that the demons of of confusion and darkness could not be allowed to steal the fire of these truths, the life that is in these truths. And I pray, Lord, that you will begin even this moment right now to begin to empower by your spirit prayer, taking up the weapons of our warfare, staying with it and staying with it and refusing to give up and refusing to leave our place, leave our sphere, and trusting you to bring the victory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Will you say his name with me out loud wherever you may be? In the name of Jesus. Say it again. In the name of Jesus. You have just spoken the most powerful name in the universe. You know where he lives? He lives right here. You're not going to walk out of this building and close those doors and leave Jesus in the pew. This is not the temple. Your body is the temple. So where you go, he goes. Who he is is power and freedom and deliverance, and that's what he brings to life. Amen. Let's stand together. I have kept you a little longer this morning, but I just couldn't get this out. I had to get this out. Let it go. Lord, bring it 18 inches. Bring it 18 inches. Bring it 18 inches. I want to say something to dads real quick before we go. There are two things you can say, two short sentences you can say that will mark you in the lives of your children. One of them is this. Look them in the eye. I love you. Do you know how many men over the years I've run into who never 
heard that spoken by their dads? The assumption being, well, he, they just know all of them. No, say it, say it. Words have power when they're spoken, not when they're just sitting there. So that's one, I love you. Second one is this. I was wrong. I'm sorry. I ask you to forgive me. 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 I love you. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Again, there's not a perfect dad in the room, not a perfect dad on the earth other than our heavenly Father in heaven and alive in us. So there's every dad who's ever lived who has had something from the place of humility that needs to be apologized for and asked for forgiveness. I, I'm, that's, that's my story, a story of my life. You say, well, preachers shouldn't have to do that. I know they shouldn't, but this one sure has had to do it lots. And I found that instead of our grown children saying, I have a weak father, why would he do that? Instead of it raising questions, it just seems to cause there to be more of an endearment. And hope for them to realize that when they fail, they can ask forgiveness and be given forgiveness just like they saw in their dad or their mom. Okay, we're going to do this and then we're going to promise we're going to let you go. This is Numbers chapter 6. You need to leave with a blessing. You need to leave with a blessing. Numbers chapter 6. And Aaron's blessing to the children of Israel. Just open your palms if you want to do that. Streaming family, same with you. Just join us. Let me speak this blessing to you. And may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, in the name of his Son, Jesus, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Prayer partners, join me here at the front, please, if you would quickly come. And as we close this time, if you'd like to come forward for prayer, for us to pray with you, we'd love to do that, love to pray with you. Otherwise, you are dismissed until we see you next time. Bless you. Thank you, gentlemen, for on this Father's Day for saying, I'd like to go to church. You know, you could have said, I'd like to go sit in my bass boat, but you made a good choice today, and we remember, recognize it. Thank you. Bless you.